song for the broken hearted. He turned pro out of high school and became a Hall of Famer. Born and raised in Indianapolis, he was voted the most likely member of his high school senior class to become a professional athlete. And he did. He began drawing a paycheck for his sport at the age of 19 and didn't take long to establish himself. In fact, he was Rookie of the Year. His career spanned four decades, during which he won 29 championships, including eight major titles. He was the Sports Player of the Year twice and set an earnings record once. He was one of the good guys, too, earning Sportsman of the Year honors in the sport. All in all, he did it all, and now he's enjoying a career in the business world. I'm Mark Monteith, and I'm going one-on-one with Mike Albee. This is One-on-One with Mark Monteith on 1070 The Fan. Brought to you by Georgetown Market, Indy's family-owned natural food store since 1973. Movie Time Video Productions. They make your memories last forever. All right, today One-on-One comes to you from the One-on-One studios on the fifth floor of MS Communications down on the Circle. We are here with Mike Albee. Have not had a bowler yet on the show, so Mike, I'm glad you can come in. Can we get 40 minutes of conversation about bowling? Oh, I think so. You know, after 26 years on tour and another 10 or 15 years, we can figure it out. All right, I'm sure there's plenty to talk about, and you're busy now as well outside of your bowling career. So you are born on the south side of Indianapolis in 1960, went to Franklin Central High School. Tell me about your start in bowling. Did you start at a really young age, or did you pick it up a little bit later? No, actually a little later. I mean, it was uh, 11, 12 years old. My sister was in a high school bowling league and kind of tagged along watching and uh, got involved, uh, you know, right right about the 12-year-old age and got my three games a weekend and couldn't wait each Saturday to get back out there and bowl my three games. And once high school hit, then I started working at the Bowling Center in Play Bowl, which is no longer there. It's uh, in Irving, was in Irvington Plaza and... Got a job and bowled. I bowled six to ten games every day in high school. Really? Yeah. So you must have um, obviously you fell in love with it right away. Were you really? Did it come naturally to you? Were you good right away? Or? I don't know about naturally. I mean, it was, <laughs> you know, I averaged a hundred my first year, and then it kind of progressed from there. It was like a hundred to one hundred nineteen to one hundred thirty four. 156, and then the next year I went to 195 average from 156. So. Did you ever take lessons, formal lessons? Uh, not lessons, but I had some pretty good coaching in the youth leagues. We were very fortunate to have some really good bowlers uh, from around the city in uh, play bowl lanes there. Uh, we had Kathy Barnes and, and Doug Barnes were my coaches and got to bowl the teen travelers. We bowled a different bowling center every Sunday, and that really helped bowling to different conditions. And then once I started the drive, then I started going into all the classic leagues, the men's leagues in town where the better bowlers were at asked questions, you know, watched, and, and uh, just couldn't couldn't wait to go to the bowling center every day. Yeah. Why do you, why did you like it so much? What was it about it? Um, I think, you know, I'll tell you a lot of it, for me, and even to this day, the people in bowling are really a draw. I mean, they're, such, they're down-home people. They're good-natured people. You know, they're just very friendly bunch, and that's probably one thing that made it really good for me. And, you know, the, the fact that knocking those little white pins down was something that was always a challenge, because no matter how good you threw it, it didn't mean you were guaranteed a strike. Yeah, that's for sure. Did you... Uh... <laughs> Did you participate in other sports as a kid? Uh, no, I played intramural volleyball and basketball, things like that. Uh, you know, uh, Norm Starkey was my uh, gym teacher down at Franklin Central High School, was a basketball coach there for years, and he'd always say, you know, I'd shoot the free throws pretty good, but that was about it. So he'd always <laughs> hey, you got to come out and give us a look. It's like, nah, you know, I got thrown out of band because I went to a bowling tournament instead. So, <laughs> so my dad had to get me back in in eighth grade year, and there was no saving me once I went to high school. That. Okay. I know Norm Starkey used to coach a pike back in the day. So yes, he is. 
Um, you're a left-hander. Are you left-handed in everything? Uh, you know, actually, no. <laughs> I play golf right-handed, and I throw baseballs right-handed. I write left-handed. But, uh, you know, some things I'm really good at, if I tried to bowl right-handed, I mean, I'd probably average 120. Yeah. Uh, same way with golf. If I went left-handed golf, I know I'd hit my leg or my ankle with the, with the end of the club. I just know it. So it's yeah. just, uh, it's really weird. But In school, as a bowler, I mean, was that considered kind of a cool thing to do? Or did other kids make fun of you for being a bowler and, you know, uh, not being in other sports? Or? Well, you know, in the, I graduated in 78. So in the, in the 60s and 70s and that, you know, bowling was pretty popular as far as it's, you know, it's very popular as far as the amount of people that bowled. There was probably three times or four times as many bowling centers back then as there are now. Um, but I was actually voted in 1978, my senior class, as the most uh, likely to become a professional athlete. Was that a goal then, in high school, to be a professional bowler? You know, I think, you know, and it was in the 70s, of course, and the 80s, but 70s especially, you know, Saturday afternoons on ABC television with Chris Schenkel and Nelson Burton Jr. were very, very big. And, you know, I would watch those shows and, and think, you know, that'd be pretty cool. But, you know, realistically, even once I started, when I got a chance to go out on tour, I'd realistically, my goal was to hopefully just make a living and be able to stay out there as long as I could. Yeah. But, you know, when you're growing up, you just kind of take it, uh, you know, as a kid, you have dreams, but, you know, are they fulfillable or not? So all this, you talked about the instruction and the help you got. What kind of things were people telling you that made you better? Or, you know, I know you can't give a bowling lesson over the uh, phone or over a radio, but, you know, what kind well, of tips do you get? You know, if you, if you watch bowlers, I mean, everybody thinks the harder you throw it, the better off you are. Well, the harder you throw the ball... When it hits the pins, actually the pins fly up in the air, off the deck, and they go around. So if you look, at the, the higher you go up on a bowling pin, you get to the neck, which is the most narrowest part of the bowling pin. When those pins fly up, they have less pin to hit. Uh -oh. So I was always told to let the weight of the ball do all the work. So when you push your ball out in your push away, and you let the weight of the ball do all your work, no matter what weight that ball is, that weight's always going to be the same. It's 15, 16, 14 pounds. It's not going to change. It's when we start to add our muscle tension that all of a sudden we decrease or increase our speed. So if you let the weight of the ball do all the work, you're always going to have a consistent swing. And that's one thing I, to this day I still use. Yeah, I never thought about that, but it makes perfect Very sense. Very important. It's yeah, like your golf swing. You know, Let the ball not... do all the work correctly. Yeah, yeah. interesting. Okay, well, there's a good tip. <laughs> what did your dad do? Uh, he was a glazer, put in glass and construction work, things like that. And my dad passed away in 94. But, uh, yeah, he was one of those, uh, him and my mom come watch me bowl every Sunday and Travelers and Saturdays, and he actually started bowling after I did. So, okay. Yeah. Uh, and you worked in the lanes. Doing I did. a little bit of everything, probably? Uh, pretty much. You know, when you're 16, 17, you do whatever they need you to do. It's, you know, picking up trash between, you know, games on the tables or running down getting pins out of the gutter. I think one of the, the most interesting jobs I had was back in the, in the mid-70s, about 76 or 77 at Playboy Lanes, used to coat the pins with a with a varnish or a lacquer type finish. Well, that was all done by hand back then. So you'd have to clean the pins first, which meant you put them in this machine and you kind of steel wool them to get all the old finish off. And then you'd basically brush paint the, the, the finish on them. Well, I had done about eight or nine sets, which is about 80 or 90 pins in a row. So I turned and I my foot hit one and all 90 pins fell down, <laughs> and I had to start all the way over. So that was probably the biggest strike I ever got at one time. <laughs> 90 pins. Yeah. <laughs> Read somewhere that as a kid you were hit by a train? Yeah, you know, it's it's uh, funny but not funny, I guess. <laughs> uh, Halloween night, 1978, I remember. Senior Misty and raining over on Kitley Avenue and by the Speedrome. And, uh, you know, I there's a stop sign there. I had my 65 Mustang. I just remember going across the tracks real slow because you didn't want to tear the car up. And I remember hearing the horn. Got my head about halfway around and then woke up the next day. So 
Don't remember much past that. Wow. What were your injuries? I actually had about 60 stitches, uh, bleeding kidney and things like that. I was bowling bowling a week later, but uh, very (laughs) fortunate. Very fortunate. How'd the car come out of that? Uh, I have pictures. The car did not make it. Didn't survive. Um, it would. It hit about about a foot past behind the driver's door. So very lucky to even be here. But wow. what, what was kind of ironic and to this day I show the kid my kids. It's like you know here's we have the clipping that actually said the star ran back and said you know bowler hospitalized by train. You know that was the and was in like page eight or nine. But it was like you know but at that point I was fairly known you know around the city just from my bowling with the high school stuff. Yeah. You know? Wow. So, yeah. So you had a 65, Very lucky. 65 Mustang, huh? Yeah, 65 Fastback. Oh, yeah. How long Loved have you it. had it? Uh, I'd had it two years. Yeah. My brother had just redone it, too, about a month or two before. It was Midnight Blue Metallic and 289 Hypo. It was pretty nice. Yeah, yeah. that's too bad. So, <laughs> yeah. you, so you didn't see the train? No, nah, it was misty rainy. It was probably about 8 o'clock night, you know, Halloween yeah. night. And just, yeah. My head got about, like I said, halfway around and boom. You were lucky. Dude. Very fortunate. Yeah. Very fortunate. All be turns pro. It doesn't take long to become a champion when one-on-one continues. Welcome back to One-on-One. I'm Mark Monteith. Mike Albee became a professional bowler at the age of 19 and went on to become Rookie of the Year. Since then, he's rolled more than 50 perfect games in competition and a whole lot more just for fun. At what point did you start taking bowling seriously as a possible vocation? Um, I would say, oh, it had to be my junior year in high school is when I, when I really got my average up to in the 190s. Um, started beginning to take some notice. I was bowling every league that I could possibly bowl in. I bowled a uh, Friday night. It was actually um, a gentleman named Hyde Delman out of, um, he did um, All-Star Lanes, and he owned Meadows Bowl and places like that around town. He was a very big proprietor. And they named the league kind of after him. Uh, and it was first kind of first high school bowling it was. And it was really, it was a club sport and that type of thing. So intramural type event. And so I got into that. I bowled that on Friday nights. I bowled the Saturday morning youth league at Raceway Lanes out in Speedway. I bowled the Saturday afternoon league at Play Bowl in Irvington. I bowled the Sunday morning junior adult league with my dad at Play Bowl. And then I bowled the Sunday afternoon traveling league, which bowled a different bowling center every Sunday. So I bowled every competition, any tournament I could find. I mean, I just... I just wanted to go and compete. And then once I got to be a senior in high school, uh, I went to the national youth championships and won the, re- won the state, won the regional, got to go to the nationals where there's just uh, graduating seniors at the time could go. Uh, I was in Greenwich, Connecticut. Uh, I went there. They had pro named Billy Hardwick, who's in the Hall of Fame, uh, June Llewellyn and Donna Adamick, who's in the Hall of Fame as well. They were the guest pros there. Uh, it was all scholarship funded and things like that. And uh, I actually led the tournament and uh, lost the last game 210 to 200. But meeting Billy Hardwick there was one of the best things that happened. Billy invited me down to Florida to spend some time with him. Mm. So uh, I got to go down there and uh, worked out with him for a couple of weeks in Florida. Uh, my parents drove me down, and um, we uh, he basically put me through the ringer to show me all what could happen on tour, what they'd try to do, things like that, you know, and challenge matches. He'd set me up bowling action, which was, you know, basically – Bowling for money, yeah. <laughs> which I hadn't done much of that, except from some of us guys on Thursday or Friday afternoons with the youth leagues bowling for a quarter a game, which was illegal at the time, but, you know, <laughs> for fun. Yeah. And um, so he had me in all these matches for two weeks all around Florida and kind of seasoned me up. And then I came back from there, and that's when Don Mitchell and, and the Royal Pin Group decided to get together with my parents and got me out on tour. But uh, hmm. the challenge matches were pretty fun. I mean, I went down and bowled um, 
The first night was in a t- place called Tamarack Lanes. It was a Don Carter bowling center. And uh, I bowled uh, the league, and I shot 1080 for four games. So I uh, averaged, you know, over 250. And, and so they decided, well, let's have some action because they're always into gambling down there. And so they put me up against a guy who had the best average in the league. But nobody knew who I was because I was only 18, you know, from Indiana. And so they put me up, and it was $250 a game and, you know, all this stuff. So I shot like 260, 270. And I won the first two games, and the kid that I was bowling just threw his bags, ball his bags, walked out. But the third game, I had the first nine strikes, so they all had side bets. So I had to finish the game out. Shot two ninety nine. <laughs> so it was fun. Then the next night, I got to go bowl um, in um, Miami at Kendall Lanes, and Don Carter and his wife were there. And um, I ended up winning six out of seven from the hot shot there. And then the next night, they put me up against Butch Gerhart, who Butch won. He won three or four titles on tour, and... And Billy had Butch do every kind of mental game he could try on me and everything, you know, and I, and I swept Butch. And so it was really one of those things that um, actually it helped us. When I got on tour, there was a couple times, the first couple TV shows you made that, you know, some of the old veterans tried to, you know, hey, did you see the dartboard down there, you know, about 30 feet? You know, you got to watch out for that because if you hit ball hits that. And it was really kind of funny, some of the things that they try, but but it was true. And, you know, I was ready for it once. Yeah, I was going to ask you, what mental games do bowlers play to try to psych you out? Or... Um, you know, for me, there's really not a lot of obviously a lot of defense in bowling, you know? Yeah. Uh, so for me, it was always the offense, you know, the more strikes you threw the, you know, the stuff like get out in front early, you know, make it hard for them to come back. But uh, there was things like I had a guy come up to me who was coaching a guy that was bowling on TV that day. And he says, um, Hey, I really like what you're doing in your power step. I so really, does that mean like, do you breathe in, breathe in or out on your first step? <laughs> oh no, I would never do that. So, oh, okay. Yeah. All right. You know, so there's stuff like that, or you know, there or and in this day and age with the new bowling balls that are very strong, a lot of guys will sand them to make them hook more. Well, during the practice balls, they'll there'll be guys that'll sand their bowling ball and throw it on your line, which the oil that's on the lane, they'll suck that oil up into the bowling ball and change the whole condition. So ah, there wow. are some things that they can do nowadays that are a little more that they couldn't do in the say the eighties or nineties. Yeah. So this two week period with Billy Hardwick, mm-hmm. what else did he teach you what else did he uh, do we basically for you to... worked on equipment you know as far yeah. as setting it up because the bowling ball it's funny as i always tried i always tried people would ask how did you relate setting up a bowling ball to the lane you know being from indianapolis you know it's, it's a lot like racing i mean it's like the guys trying to dial the car into the track without the obvious danger side of it yeah. you know because inside a bowling ball you have different shapes and those different shapes can make the ball hook sooner later depending on where you drill them in the ball same way with the surface of the ball you can sand it to make it hook more uh you can shine it to make it slide farther and hook later so there's a lot of things you can dial in with it to till you hook up right and and you know and especially in this day and age the right bowling ball is the is the difference how long did it take before you bowled your first 300 game uh, i was actually 16 really uh, play bowl lanes yeah, yeah. i uh, i shot actually it was one of those nights was a junior adult league in the summer and uh, I actually got the bowl with my i was bowling with my dad and he got the he was there for it so it was kind of neat and then actually five days later on the Tuesday Junior League, I shot another 300, my first 800 series. So, oh, wow. so I was 16. Actually, and, and after that, they I was in Ripley's, believe it or not, for, uh, I had like five 300s in a six-week period. Wow. Yeah. So that first time, do you remember the feeling you had with the last lane? You know, you're either going to get a 300 or you know, not. It, uh, it's funny. I mean, even to this day, when you have a chance, you have to have a little bit of nervousness to keep you on edge. If it's too easy, you get too complacent. Or, you know, if you, if you get in too much of a, a zone... So you got to have a little bit of that nervousness. So each one of them is that nerve-wracking. You know, and that one I don't remember much because you do get in such a zone. You just it's one I've always told myself to take it one shot at a time. 
because you can't change a ball that's out of your hands that's already in the books. And you don't want to look past the one you're throwing because it doesn't matter there either. you got to just focus on the one ball you're throwing. So I've always tried to use that. You know, the biggest 300 I had was, you know, on television. So, mm-hmm. uh, But I've had over 50 now. So I know. I remember I met you a couple years ago at the bowling event that Vince Welch yes. puts on with the Sun Dillon, the fundraising event. And you bowled a 300 right. then. Yeah. You know, just like, yeah. <laughs> well, I was telling Vince that day was kind of funny because, you know, because some of the people were kind of taking pictures with their cell phones. I said, you know, last time I shot 300, nobody had cameras on their cell phones. So <laughs> it was kind of a new new experience for me. Yeah. Yeah. So you've had more than 50 300 mm-hmm. games. Yeah. And how many in professional competition? Uh, those are all actual. I don't, oh, okay. ca- I don't count the ones in practices and oh, things like so that. So that one yeah. didn't count. Yeah. Right. Exactly. <laughs> wow. How many times have you gone into the last frame, you know, the last part of the 10th frame with a chance to bowl 300 and not done it? You know, very fortunate through the years. um, I've had, um, if I've gotten to the 11th, if I got the 11th one, going into the, have the opportunity for 300, there's only three times I haven't. Really? Yeah. Uh, Yeah, I'm very fortunate there. Yeah, that's great. I mean, that shows the poise. Did you feel in those cases like... You kind of choked or, you know, you just didn't um, Actually, get no, actually, they were all, actually, three were halfway decent balls. They just didn't carry, you know, leave yeah. a seven pin or something. But, uh, but yeah, the, to, you know, the, if you look back on it, I was like, wow, I didn't realize the odds were that, you know, I had had that good of odds, you know, to yeah. make that. But yeah. uh, Did you train physically uh, as a bowler? You know, for me, it was funny because, you know, there's was, there was always that, you know, indication for some people, oh, bowling's not a sport, you know, golf's not a sport, you know, this, that. You know, but to me, it's like um, there's different shape. You know, a big Colts fan, been a season ticket holder since 84. And, you know, there's a different level of shape if you look at alignment compared to a quarterback to run. So it's, you know, it's like bowling. There's a different amount of athleticism compared to a sprinter or to, you know, so I usually didn't take those, you know, derogatory statements as anything like that other than that. You know, bowling shape for me was bowling 20, 30 games a day without breaking a sweat. And because that's the difference on a tour when you bowl all those games during the day. You know, as the, as we get towards the end of the night, when you're down the last two or three games, that's where the difference can be made. If a guy's not in shape, that guy's not going to keep up with you. You know, once I got in the mid '80s, I started you know doing working at the court, working out the court club, you know, doing some muscle toning things like that. But uh, there was a certain amount of bowling shape that now some guys, a gentleman named Amleto Monticelli, who won several times on a Pro Bowlers Tour from Venezuela, he'd run four and five miles a day. Hmm. You know, it's just there's people take it to different lengths. Then you got other guys who never touched anything other than the bowling ball and that was it yeah. but they were successful as well so yeah your left arm must have been a lot stronger than yeah left arm it's right. funny they always oh, we'll see your thumb you know they always look at your thumb we left thumb was always twice as big as the right because you know <laughs> taking in and out of that all those games you know yeah did you ever suffer injuries uh me not necessarily i mean most thing i would have had would have been you know uh, strained ligaments in my ring finger from lifting the ball sometimes you get that the more power games today the guys are really using their shoulders a lot and trying more and more power all the time. There's there's some rotator cuff stuff nowadays. Myself, I was very fortunate. Just other than a ripped thumb here and there, you know, I really didn't have much trouble with that. Albie talks life on the tour and what it takes to win when one-on-one continues. Back on one-on-one, I'm Mark Monteith. Mike Albee didn't just win on the PBA Tour, he was a sportsman as well. But he was mentally tough enough to bowl a perfect game on national television, which was barely enough to win a championship. 
So you did not go to college, huh? I did not. You I went turned, right out of high school, right on tour. That yeah. must have been exciting, you know. You're yeah, you know, it's what, it's funny because you know, being 18 years old and you're you're out there driving, you know, basically you drive. I drove to every stop. You yeah. know, there was hardly any much flying for me unless it was really too far. But um, I remember spending my 19th birthday in Long Island in a hotel where I'd missed because the, they had pre-tournament qualifiers. If you if you weren't a winner or in the top 50 in points, you had to qualify a little tournament prior to get into the tournament. So. Yeah, I remember 19th birthday in Long Island, missing my uh, my pre-tournament qualifier to get in the tournament, you know, by myself in a hotel room in New York. <laughs> so, yeah, there was some early on, but then I won the 11th tournament that I bowled in, so then I was qualified ever since. So. Okay. How much money did you win for that tournament? Uh, the first time I ever won was the PBA National Championship. It was a major event. Okay. And I won $15,000 in hey, 1979. That was huge. Yeah, at the showboat in Las Vegas. So you're Rookie of the Year in 1979. Yeah. A good start to everything. Um, and then uh, you're also the only person ever to be Rookie of the Year and become a PGA Tour champion, yeah. uh, which is both in 85 and 95. That seems weird to me. What happens to these Rookies of the Year? None of them went on to become champions. Yeah, no, it's, um, you know, they might have won a tournament here or there, but never had the success where they could be Player of the Year in that. Now, Pete Weber is one that's been close. He's never done the Player of the Year thing, but Petey's one that's had a good, solid career and was Rookie of the Year. Mm-hmm. But it just seemed like the Rookies of the Year, I mean, they had a good season but they never could put much together after that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was like I said, when a rookie wins their first year, it can be two things. One, either you take that as a confidence builder and carry that on, or it becomes one of those things where they get a little cocky and think, I've got this. Yeah. And when you when you ever get to that point, <laughs> you're on your way out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, they just don't practice as no, much right. and that kind of thing. You just don't t- pay attention to the small things. Yeah. So what made you a champion bowler? What qualities make any bowler uh, better than the others? On tour, the middle game separated most. Yeah. For me, I felt like I could overcome a lot of, if there was physical things that I was doing wrong, or I felt if I kept my head into it long enough and kept my middle game going and working at it, that I'd figure it out. And that's really what carried me through. Say, especially one of the, the things that was kind of overlooked at times, when you're bowling all these games, you know, 56, 70 games before you get to the, the top five television show, you know, there's a lot of games you're struggling with. Well, you know, that ninth and 10th frame, if you can strike that game out, that's 60 pins. And I'd always work hard trying to finish the game. No matter if I had two or three opens early on, I wanted to make sure I tried to finish that game. So mentally, I'd stay in it all the way until that last ball was thrown of the day. That's really what I felt made me different than a lot of them. Physical characteristics? What physical characteristics make somebody better? Um, you know, power is is important, but in bowling, the key is getting the ball to roll. The most strongest time is right before it hits the pins. The last 5 to 10 feet is the most important part of the lane. So as long as you're in position, that ball's in position at the last 5 or 10 feet, and it's got the power to hit the pins, that's where you want it. How it gets to that point it doesn't matter. Yeah. You know, if you look at, if you look at a lot of the different uh, styles as they get to the foul line, they can't all look like Nelson Burton Jr. or Dick Weber or Don Carter, you know, to get to the get to the foul line, you know, the picture perfect book book way to do it. But if you look at them at the point of release with their hand, they're all very similar. Mm-hmm. And it's just a matter of letting the ball do all the work and lifting, that thumb comes out first and they lift up towards the ceiling, you know, that's that's the that's the thing if you consistently do that. Consistency is the key. Yeah. You know, you can't make adjustments off bad shots. And a lot of people get confused how well they know their own game. You know, they think, oh, the lane's changing. Well, or did they throw it bad? Yeah. You know, so you have to know your own game very well. Uh, you were a two-time Sportsmanship Award winner, so you're one of the good guys on tour. <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess you could say that since it's in writing like that. So, yeah, that works. <laughs> so you weren't uh, the guy actually, trying to get in someone else's head, you know, no, or saying I didn't, little things no, to distract No, I didn't do him. that. And, and yeah. you know, I think 
for me, one thing that I was very proud of the one year, I was bowler of the year, you know, the best bowler that year, and I won the sportsmanship award, which was was a rarity. Usually those two didn't go together. Yeah. Was that, what, 85? Or? Yeah. Okay. So I was proud of that. Yeah. Uh, your best money year, was it 89? 89. Okay. Yeah. And you won just under $300,000. What does a champion make today on tour? Uh, uh, it's less than that. Yeah. Yeah, it's less than that the now. The, the down, tournaments huh? way down. See, back then we were doing 36 tournaments a year. I mean, I would leave, um, we'd start the first week of January, and usually in California, and then we would uh, finish up the first uh, week of May, and then we'd take the month of May off. We'd bowl June, July, and August, take September off, bowl October, November, take December off, and start again. So we had 36 tournaments a year for a okay. long time. Uh-huh. So now they're only bowling 20 tournaments or less. What do you consider your greatest accomplishment? I mean, is there a one particular event that you won or something else that you're the most proud of as you look back on your career? Um, I look at it a couple different ways. Um, the, probably the most exciting tournament that I ever won uh, for me was the 300 game on television in mm-hmm. Wichita. And, and um, that one because, you know, I never thought I'd do that. I mean, I, I shot 300 games before, but on TV they were such a rarity. So I never thought, you know, it takes a lot of things to happen. You know, you've got to, you got to be, you got to be a little bit lucky. You've got to, things just have to go your way a little bit. And um, so I never thought I'd do that, but it was one of the most exciting times I ever had. Wichita is a good friend of mine's bowling center. I worked for Brunswick at the time and I just drilled a brand new ball for the television show to try something different. And I threw four practice balls with it and I struck each one of them. Normally you have an hour before the TV show to work on the lanes practice. So I threw my four shots and struck on it each one of them, and I quit. So I was the leader for the show, so I just had to bowl the one game. So I came out after the show starts, it's an hour later, and now I'm bowling a uh, Hall of Famer named David Ozio, and David shoots 279. He had the first seven strikes and left one and then struck out for 279. So I had the first nine strikes. I still have to throw the first strike in the 10th to win. You know, if I get eight, I'm an automatic loser. Mm-hmm. So that first shot in the 10th, once I threw that, then I knew I was a winner. Now it was just a matter of, you know, Hopefully one shot at a time, let the ball do all the work. Because I do a lot of self-talk before you get up there. Yeah. And so I did that and was able to throw the two shots. And so basically the bowling ball that I threw that day had four practice balls that were strikes, 12 more balls that were strikes. I've never thrown it since. That's mm. the only 16 balls that I threw with that ball. It's retired. So Really? <laughs> yeah. So I have, and, I, and one thing I do is I keep all the bowling balls I ever shot 300 with or mm. won titles with. So and I have all those. you never use them again? No, I have them all. Yeah, they're retired. Yeah. So every, every game that you've rolled a 300 it was with a different ball uh there's a few that have multiples but not okay. many not many i have okay. i have um over 80 80 bowling balls that i've got retired so and where are they are they they are the... in various places <laughs> in your garage yes your... various closets and uh some are on display you know some are on display okay uh but uh so that term is probably the most exciting term i ever bowled in uh the most the most rewarding for me was the tournament of champions the tournament champions one that i had i loved to bowl that tournament I made the top 24 match play finals for 10 straight years, made the show two or three times, but I was never able to win it. And um, then in uh, 95, I was, I was able to finally win that tournament, which completed the Triple Crown, the Grand Slam, and all these other little things that you know people hadn't done yet. And so that was kind of probably the most rewarding and monkey off your back type of event, you know, but it was probably the most rewarding one was that one. How about the biggest disappointment? Oh gosh, you know, you can, it's funny because I was, we were looking at some old shows the other day because uh, my daughter's 15 and she doesn't really remember any of these. So, yeah. uh, so we were watching some old shows. I don't, anything I didn't win, I don't watch anymore. I don't watch those things, you know, <laughs> so I usually stay away from those. But my second, third show I ever made, 
I was in Baltimore and uh, I shot 147 on television. Mm. I didn't call home for a week. I was embarrassed. Yeah. You know, it was just as I'd find out that wasn't as embarrassing as, embarrassing as it could be as you shoot lower games than that. But on television, it's pretty embarrassing. Yeah. So uh, that was probably that. But, but you know, I think there's a lot of disappointing things. I really tried to, you, you just don't, as a competitor, you're disappointed when you don't win. Yeah. So I was fortunate enough to really kind of let those things just roll off your back. You know, you just, you just kind of move on and use the positives, all the things that were good. I would have loved to have won a Japan Cup, you know, going to Japan 10 times to bowl in a Japan Cup. Great tournament, fun. Would have loved to win it. Never did. And, you know, that's okay. Yeah. You know, but I was very fortunate. That's the way I look at it. My career, I was, I was so fortunate to win the things I won. Yeah. So the day you rolled a 147, was there a reason? What happened that and, day? And, and that's what you get out of all that, Mark. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <clears throat> that stands out, though. I mean, yeah, it does. A... You know, it does. And it was one of those things where, you know, I had done pretty well before. My first two tournaments I on television, I won and finished second. So I get on there, you know, you, your your confidence is high, and it's on ABC television. It's one of the network shows, so it's really good. And it's just one of those where I just never got on track. You know, what what really happened to me that day was I had an overzealous fan who was was for me, but they yelled, come on, Mike, right at the bottom of my swing. Ah, and, you yeah. know, from that point, you know, you kind of get into this, the zone's kind of overused, but it's 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 factual. I mean, you get into this, this point where you're just, you're tunnel vision. When they yell your name, all of a sudden it's like somebody snapped their fingers and you're awake. Yeah. So after that, I mean, I was I was attentive to everything that was happening around me. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Kind of. Yeah. Like... They can yell everything they want. I mean, but when they use your when they use your name, that it's just like a trance. They snap you right out of it. So it wasn't the fact he made noise. It was the fact that he My yelled name. your name. Yeah. Noise. Noises is really not a. You know. Yeah. Even though they tell everybody to be quiet, uh, noise doesn't really affect me. Yeah. But but when you hear your name, then you you immediately want to pull up, you know. Interesting. Did you yeah. have a talk with that fan later? <clears throat> no, they apologized. They actually come out and apologize. But, it's, you know, it's one of those things. Hey, yeah, they it, weren't it trying happens. to screw No, they were not. All be bowls for David Letterman when one-on-one -on -one continues. But first, here he is, picking up the 12th strike for a 300 game against David Ozio to win the 1993 Wichita Open. It was only the second time a perfect game had been rolled in a nationally televised title match. Imagine what Tammy and Chris are doing back in Indianapolis. Oh, what a thrill for everybody. Walter Ray Williams Jr. had the first 11 in a row this year and left the 10 pin. Let's see what the destiny of Albie is. We are back on one-on-one. -on -one. I'm Mark Monteith, spending the hour with Bowling Hall of Famer Mike Albee. One of his claims to fame is his three appearances on Late Night with David Letterman, where he did things like knock down beer bottles in the hallway. But now that he's retired, he's in the business world, owning a bowling establishment in Lafayette and an ice skating rink in Indianapolis. All in all, it's been a dream come true. Uh, as your career progressed and you were making money, did your travel situation change? I mean, were you uh, uh, just driving better cars or were you flying <laughs> everywhere? Or, uh, uh, no, I actually still drove everywhere. I mean, that was the thing. Uh, my wife and I enjoyed the driving part of it, seeing the country. And, and mm -hmm. like I said, 
her sister and, and brother-in-law were, you know, in motorhomes. So we followed them with their kids and we were very fortunate to have family out there all those years. I mean, you yeah. know, to this day, I mean, we, we go to California, uh, for Christmas for the last, we've been married 29 years. This will be our, our 29th year going to California for holidays mm-hmm. with uh, her sister and her brother-in-law. We just, mm-hmm. you know, it's just our kids have gotten known their kids all these years and it's just, um, that made it really fun. We enjoyed seeing the country. I mean, it really was cool. It sounds like a great life. I oh, mean, it's, very fortunate. It's not, you know, you're not likely to get injured. Uh, it's not physically grueling. Uh, the money isn't, yeah, it's not like NBA or NFL, but the money's good. Yeah. At least it was when, when you were competing. And, and you do get an opportunity to see a lot of the country, and it's a pretty relaxed environment. Well, it's funny. If you remember, you remember Ed Sorensen that used to be here sure. in town? Sure. Ed actually interviewed me in 1980 in Tucson and uh, <laughs> when I won a title out there. And uh, then he came here. It was kind of interesting. And then... I was on a plane coming back from them. They were coming back from a Colts game or something, and I would bolt on the, on TV that weekend somewhere else. And and I'm going through the you know just the airport, and you know nobody's bothering me. And he at the baggage claim, he says, "Man, it must be really cool to be the top of your field, but not have the problems of being bothered everywhere you go." And you know, then there's something to be said for that. I mean, yeah. it, it it was cool. I mean, I I do enjoy that. And and you know, once you go into bowling center, it's a different story, but. I enjoy talking to people, enjoy talking bowling. I mean, you know, it's, it's like yeah. when you call me to talk bowling, it's like, oh, love to, you know. Yeah, yeah I was going to ask, did you get recognized in public much when you were competing on the tour? Yeah, uh, yeah you did, you know, because, I mean, ABC Television was a pretty pretty popular show, and yeah. and uh, anything network, probably the most recognized I got, though, was when I was on Letterman's show. Ah. And um, it was funny because they called, in eight, 1989, the Letterman show called the, the Professional Bowlers Tour and said, hey, we're looking for somebody to come on the show with Dave, somebody who's never, ca- they want somebody who'd never cashed before. They wanted to, you know, make fun, make fun and have fun with it. Mm-hmm. They said, well, you know, we don't, because PBA wasn't really into that part of it. They said, well, hey, we've got a guy from Indianapolis that's doing really well this year. How would that be? They said, oh, that'd be great. Indianapolis Dave from Indy, that'd be great. So they called me and said, would you like to do the Letterman show? And I thought, thought for a second, I thought, how bad am I going to get browbeat on this show, right? <laughs> yeah. So, but I thought, you know, being from Indianapolis, maybe Dave would be nice to me. So I agreed to go, and, and it was September of 89, and, uh, you know, actually, it was a blast. I mean, it was, uh, when we first got there, Dave says, no, we want to, He he's talked about the city, and we were just, I mean, made you feel very comfortable. I mean, you know, he's very relaxed and talking about the city, and obviously he loves the city. We all know that. And, mm-hmm. and um, so it, it did make it good for me, but he wanted me bowling in the hallway. So... We're in the hallway on the linoleum floor, and he says, "Okay, we've got it measured out, sixty feet, and, you know, just like a bowling lane." He said, "We got to make, we want to make it exactly like a bowling lane." So, I said, "All right." So I got my bowling ball and I throw it. Now on linoleum, it's kind of a soft, mushy material, you know. So the bowling ball, if you threw it slow, would grab it and hook all the way to the right. If you threw it harder, it would actually roll out and fade to the left. So it wasn't as easy as it sounded. Yeah. yeah. So I said, "You know, if you move me up a little closer." I can hit these things every time. He said, oh, no, it wouldn't be realistic. We can put down sand or oil to make it just like a lane. Whatever you need, we'll do. So I said, no, just give me some more practice balls. So what they did was they wanted me bowling at different items. So <laughs> we do, for the rehearsal, we tried bowling pins first. And the, this, the crew guys have the lights set up. Well, they're on stands, light stands. And they want to stand behind the bowling pins. I said, you guys can't be there. I said, these pins are three and a half, four pounds they'll fly and they'll break your legs. So they move a couple inches. I said, no, you got to get out of the way. So they got out of the way. I threw a shot, hit the pins, and they took both light stands out, you know, and so, oh, whoa, we got to do it. So now they had to mount them on the ceiling. And about that time, the news anchor from New York, they have their own studio across. The, the guy comes up and says, oh, my God, what is he doing now? You know, they're, 
Yeah. So they were obviously used to that. So, <laughs> so then they, we did that, and then we tried beer bottles to see how quickly they could clean the mess up. So we threw the beer bottles, and they exploded. I mean, they were pulling glass <laughs> slivers out of the ceiling. I mean, it was they, they blew up. But after that, once the show started, I mean, we did ketchup bottles, you know, beer bottles. We did, um, oh, gosh, what else was there? There are so many different. I did a guacamole-filled uh, aquarium. <laughs> I mean, it just, you would not imagine the things. So it was, it was really a lot of fun. And, yeah. and uh, then, then they called me back and said, hey, we December Christmas items. We want you to come back and bullet Christmas items. So it, it, it was funny. I got reckoned. Every time I did those shows, I did it three times because I went back for Easter the following year as well. <laughs> so every time I was in the airport, it was people, hey, you were the guy who was on Letterman. You know, it was, yeah. it was just amazing. But it was so much fun and just the stuff that we bowled against was quite amazing. Yeah. Did you, know? you get a chance to talk with Dave much just casually? Uh, just huh? casually, just a little bit. Like I said, he, he was talking about the city and just mm-hmm. how he loved Indianapolis. And, you know, it was really cool. I mean, it was the people that was on with me was Beverly D'Angelo from, you know, uh, the vacation movies. Mm-hmm. Um, she was on, matter of fact, when they called her out of the green room to come out, she saw me. And she, oh, bowling. I love the bowl. So she's out there and Dave's like, where is she? <laughs> so, so then they had uh, uh, Siegfried and Roy was on actually, okay. and the White Tigers and um, Doogie Howser back then was on, and yeah. and uh, so it was just it was just really fun. I had a great time. Yeah. And well, then after that, they used uh, Dick Weber and the AMF company took over, and AMF actually built a lane out in Fifty Second Street. So Dick Weber did them after that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you mentioned splits. Have you ever picked up a seven ten split? One time. One time. One time. Is yeah. that the hardest thing to do in bowling? Yeah, I mean the big four, the two, the four, four, six, seven, tens, pretty difficult because the four and the six are actually closer, but they're they're almost they're they are exactly straight across. So the seven ten, you can use it as hard as the guys throw the balls nowadays. They can get the pins to spin out of the back and bounce off the back, and so they can get them a little more so today than they used to. Uh, but yeah, one time, which. I, trust me, I left a lot more than that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I've never seen it done, I don't think. Yeah, it's it's interesting when it happens. Yeah. What was your career win total, financially, roughly? Oh, uh, money-wise? Yeah. Uh, I was over $2 million. Um, okay. But, you know, I like to, you know, I always like to preface things. Said, oh, what, you know, how'd you do on tour? What'd you make? I always like to preface that was before, you know, um, expenses, taxes, and that sort of thing. So, yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah, no, I, you know, very fortunate. I mean, I, I couldn't ask for any more. I was very fortunate in what things I was able to do. But it wasn't really like you could just sit back and not work for oh, the no, rest not of your at life. All. Yeah, know, no, that's, that no, that didn't happen. Yeah, <laughs> no. When did you retire? Uh, 2004. And why? Um, you know, 2004, I mean, you get to the point when your career where you start, at least for me anyway, it was, it was one of those things where I didn't have the drive or the desire to work as much as I need to work at it to stay up with the younger guys. Mm-hmm. You know, you find your, I think I found myself sitting in a hotel in Los Angeles after missing a cut and my son's playing in a youth hockey game and something's going on. I'm thinking, you know, what, what am I doing here? You know, and so it, and CJ, my son was becoming a, he would have been a fret. He was starting freshman year at, at Carmel. My daughter was starting first grade. So it's like, you know, it was, it was time for me to, to move on to something else. Yeah. You know, yeah. and, uh, be there for the family and, you know, cause, uh, you know, they weren't able to travel with me with school and things like that. So it was, I had seen enough. Yeah. I was going to ask, did you just get bored with it at some point? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I enjoyed the people and the competition. You like something that makes you push and, and that sort of thing. But the travel is probably what finished me off in the end more yeah. so because I was away from home too much. Yeah. You know? How often do you bowl now just for fun? Um, I basically just do charity events yeah. now, you know, that, you know, the, the Dylan Welch uh, event and, uh, the Jeff Gordon bowling tournament. I do that. I do a meals on wheels function and, uh, just things like that, you know, that I'm asked to do, I'll try to help out. And, mm-hmm. uh, but, uh, competitive wise, I just, 
I know what it takes to get back to where I was, and I'm not sure I have that drive or desire to do that. Yeah. And the seniors tour, you know, I could have started when I was 50. I'm 52 now, and I just I, I don't want to go just to go. Yeah. I'm too competitive to do that. But you know, maybe one of these days. Yeah, we'll see. It may come back to you. Huh? Yeah. So you own Lanes and Lafayette. Mm-hmm. I mean, what, tell me about that. It's uh, Mike Albee's Arrowhead Bowl. Uh, mm-hmm. It's in Lafayette. Um, Why and, Lafayette? I mean, um, you know, actually Don Mitchell, who who was my good friend and sponsor, he the center became available, and he said, you know, we need to get get you into something for later on in your life. Mm-hmm. And um, so the center became available, and uh, Don and I partnered up with a gentleman named Jesse Sims, who was one of the owners at the time, and then a friend of mine from the tour named Scott Devers, who Scott's from Richmond, uh, Indiana, and uh, was on the tour one four times. And Scott's our day-to-day guy up there, manager and, and a partner of ours. So that's we hooked up in 97, so okay. uh, two weeks after my daughter was born. So we, we bought the center, and... And had it ever since. Must be doing okay, huh? It's doing fine. Yeah, we uh, actually added ten lanes about five, six years ago, and uh, we're up to forty-two lanes there and full service. It's a, it's a great center. Mm-hmm. So where are we with bowling today? Is it shrinking? Uh, has it stabilized? I mean, what's the growth of the sport? Um, I think that if you look at, you know, a lot of people like to pattern what what's going on with league play. You know, league play was always the staple for bowling all these years. Someone who's bowling in a league every week. Well, you know, leagues were thirty-five, thirty-six weeks a year. And bowling has, you know, I don't know what I'm doing two weeks from now, let alone 35 weeks from now. So yeah. that has helped, that has helped change things a lot. Um, so you'll probably see that at one point, 60, 40 leagues were 60% of your business to 40. Now it's either 50, 50 or moved past that. So, mm-hmm. uh, but open play is big and popular as ever. I mean, the people that want to casually bowl, have fun with it is very, very large. The kids, probably the, the best thing the bowling industry has going is our uh, high school bowling. High school bowling in Indiana is huge. Uh, we've done the last three years on, we have the state finals are on television. We've been fortunate enough to broadcast those. Actually with Jerry Baker the last couple mm-hmm. years and uh, Greg mm-hmm. Regstraw the other year I did it. And um, so we were very fortunate to have that. It's it's growing all over the country. I mean, we're, we're right there to be uh, recognized with the IHSAA uh, for a full-fledged sport. Uh, and then if you look at uh, women's bowling, they're actually a Division One full-fledged Division One women's. Uh, men's is still club, but uh, women's is full-fledged Division One sport. Scholarships and everything. Everything. Yeah. Great. Yeah. I guess maybe that probably relates to Title IX, where I'm it's sure a fairly it inexpensive sure sport. And mm-hmm. uh, do you think there will be college men's teams someday? I don't. I don't think there will be. I mean, I yeah. just not not now anyway. With you know the way people are, you need to cut expenses and find. I mean, I don't think we're going to be adding much of anything for a while. You also own ice skating rinks, right? How did you get into that? <laughs> yeah, everybody asked that. You know, how did you get into the ice? Skating? <laughs> a little bit of a departure from bowling. Uh, yeah, just yeah, a little bit. You know, it's it's actually more similar than similar than you think. Um, if you look at a bowling center and an ice skating rink, they're both recreational businesses. You know, you have snack bars, pro shops, open skating, open bowling leagues. You know, same thing. The big difference is the maintenance, the ice maintenance to the lane maintenance. You know, mm-hmm. so those are the two big differences. And the old lane man on the pro bowlers tour always gives me a hard time about you know the ice rink and the the maintenance because there's a difference, you know, the, if you look at the figure skaters and the hockey players, they both like different temperatures of ice. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there's a difference there that helps them one way or the other, their most optimum range. Same way in bowling, doing the lanes, you know, helps different players. So, but you know, that's how I got into it. I was a big hockey fan since the early eighties. Obviously the 80 Olympics was, was a big uh, moment in all our lives. And mm-hmm. here uh, locally with the Indianapolis checkers, I used to go down and watch the guys practice and watch all the games and, I uh, got to be very close friends with Monty Trottier, who lives here in town, and uh, Rob Holland was a goalie at that point, and uh, Kevin Devine, uh, Darcy Rieger, all those guys, you know, were, were people like Bob Laxo, and 
so they used to come. Some of those guys used to come watch me practice bowling, and I'd I'd actually see them on when I won Toledo, uh, the PBA national championships in '85. My wife and I, we went and watched the Checkers play the Gold Diggers that night. Uh-huh. And it was kind of funny because we got back to our room and they showed me sitting in the stands at the game. And But afterwards, got to see Kevin Devine and the guys, you know. And then so they would come see me wherever I was at up on the road. And mm-hmm. so got to know hockey real well. And then when once the Mighty Ducks movie came out, my son really got interested in the hockey. So he played hockey all the way through high school. And, and, uh, and then my daughter plays now. She's 15 and... Uh, freshman at Carmel, she's playing for the girls' fusion team. So. Okay, do your kids bowl a lot? Uh, you know, it's funny because they just whenever they want to go, I take them. Just they're basically in it for fun. Yeah. Uh, my son went with me earlier this year to our um, uh, national convention called Bowl Expo out in Reno, Nevada. It's it's a really nice event, big trade shows, seminars, the whole bit. And he's studying business marketing at the University of Kentucky. So I said, you know, marketing's marketing. So he went went to all the seminars. Well, he really got jazzed about the bowling. So. He's actually bowling in a league while he's going to school down in Kentucky. Oh, good. So, yeah, so he's really gotten into it. Good. Why well, bowled with him at Vince Wells' event this yes, year? So he's, he's pretty good. Ta- he's just starting to take it up. I mean, he, last couple months, he's really jumped in there. Um, okay, Mike, I got a theme question. Um, <laughs> when you sleep at night, do you dream about bowling? Or when you were competing professionally, would you have dreams about bowling? You would. Uh, and usually they were positive, successful ones, you know, that you hope to win this tournament or that tournament, how you would – you know, I used to dream the 300 dream, shooting 300 on television. Then once I did it, it was like, wow. You know, it's just like I said, it was one of those things I never thought would happen. Yeah. And um, to luckily, I didn't dream. You know, I felt my whole life on tour was a dream. I mean, I couldn't have dreamed a dream. Any, I used to say that my dream, I couldn't dream a dream this good. Mm-hmm. You know, I met my wife, my family through bowling. I mean, everything I have is due to this game and sport. I couldn't dream a dream that good. More with Mike Albee when one-on-one continues. All right, thanks to Mike Albee for stopping by the one-on-one studio. You know, I was fortunate enough to catch the end of his perfect game in Vince Welch's bowling outing a few years ago. And even though it was just an exhibition, it was exciting to watch. Albee is a rarity, a rookie of the year, a season champion, and a sportsman of the year. Who else from Indiana can make that claim? It was a good thing that train missed him by a few feet, huh? Now, as always, if you missed part of this episode or want to hear one of the others from the one-on-one library, the podcasts are there for you 24-7. Just go to 1070thefan.com. Click on Shows, click on the one-on-one link, click on the podcast link, and they're all there. Well over 100 in all. You can always reach me by email at mark at 1070thefan.com, and I'm available on Facebook and Twitter as well. After consulting a team of marketing experts, I came up with the incredibly clever handle at Mark Monteith. I'll be back next week with yet another spine-tingling conversation with the Hoosier sports personality right here on 1070 The Fan.